I always get a reaction when I tell somebody my address. It's like, ooh, Country Club Drive. <laughs> I can see it in their eyes. I can see them labeling me. And it feels like a, a highfalutin label, you know, like, oh, member of the Country Club. I golf with the finest people. <laughs> I eat extravagant dinners in the, in the great ballroom. I stay out late with my buddies playing poker and smoking cigars. I mean, I can look the part sometimes, but they don't realize that I would rather drive a tractor than a golf cart. Whenever I'm at the tractor supply, and I'm, I'm always wearing my favorite hat when I go to the tractor supply, and I'm at the cashier and I'm giving her my phone number or my address uh, so that she can find me in the computer. She gives me that question mark look, you know? Uh, like, are you telling me the truth? There ain't no farmers on Country Club Drive. And I suppose she's right, but I do have chickens and I have a crazy awesome compost pile. The Country Club is a little over a hundred yards in that direction. And on the days when I'm going for a long run, sometimes I'll go that way and I'll run through the roads through the country club. A couple weeks ago, I was running and I, and I came upon an unfamiliar street and so I decided to go down it. And it was a cute little street. There, the houses were kind of close together. There were these nice manicured yards. They, they clearly cared about their community. And there was this one house, kind of right in the middle of it. And they had this tall wooden fence uh, completely all the way around the house and and on this fence was just one no trespassing sign it was no trespassing signs plural there was a keep out sign and I mean it was uh, it was obnoxious really and I thought I wonder why they want to hide behind that wall I wonder why they don't want to get to know their neighbors it just seemed really odd. And then I began to think, I wonder what they're doing in there. And I actually thought, I bet they're making meth. A little while later, when I'm running back down this street and I see the fenced in house, I mean, I actually said, there's the meth house. I mean, I'm just talking to myself because I'm running by myself. On that same run, now I'm in, in that direction, about a half a mile from here, and I passed another house that stopped me in my tracks. They had constructed and they were hiding behind a completely different kind of fence. They had a flagpole in the front yard and there was this huge uh, Confederate flag hanging there. And they had a, a no trespassing sign too. I had never seen one like this. It had no trespassing in red across the top. And then right below it, it said, if you don't understand English, maybe you'll understand 12 gauge and in the middle of the sign they had this picture of a 12 gauge shotgun I immediately began to label them I had never met them before I began to think this is what they look like I began to think this is what kind of car they drive I began to think this is who they voted for I imagined this is the church they attend it's crazy Sometimes it seems like the whole world is trying to build a wall or, or build a large fence. And you know what I realize is that I'm a part of the problem. 
like I label people too. By the time I, I got back uh, on the end of my run to my country club driveway, I had constructed a fence in my mind that was formidable. Paul speaks to that in our text today in his letter to the Ephesians. So in, in our text from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I mean, he, he, he starts by saying, So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Um, he starts by referencing these labels. Our labels have been around for a, a long, long time. But what Paul is saying in this letter, and what he's saying to, to these Gentile Christians, these Greeks, he's also saying to the Jewish Christians that, that the church is one, that in spite of the barriers of, of race and, and culture, uh, the church isn't divided, or at least it shouldn't be. And, and their divisions were, were, were pretty harsh. We talk about them sometimes. I read a little bit more about them as I was preparing for today. Uh, that the, the Jews had a, an, an immense contempt uh, for the Gentiles. I mean, I started to say, you know, it bordered on hatred, but I, I think uh, oftentimes it was hatred. Like they would say things like, uh, the Gentiles were created to, to fuel the fires of, of hell, saying things like, uh, of all the nations, God loves only Israel. Uh, there, was, there was a law. I read there was a law that it was uh, unlawful uh, to, to help like a Gentile woman while, while she was hard in labor. And, and the thinking was, the, the problem was, is, is that if you help this, this Gentile woman have a baby, there'll be another Gentile in the world. I'm like, yikes. Like that's awful stuff. Things like if a Jewish person married a Gentile person, um, they would actually have that Jewish person's funeral. They would act it out. Like we know a little bit about the divisions that were in the, the temple in Jerusalem. Um, in in the, the courts, there was the court of Gentiles, which was the first one. Then there was the court of women. And there was the court of Israel. Um, and then there was the court of the place for the priests. And then there was the Holy of Holies. There were all these um, uh, dividing walls in there. And... Uh, I read in more than one source that, that there was a, a, a sign on the wall between the court of the Gentiles to the court of women that if any foreigner uh, went past uh, this, this wall, um, that, that their life would be in danger. Uh, really kind of nuts. But the Gentiles, or the Greeks, like, they, were, they were no better. The Greeks divided people into two categories. There were Greeks, and then there were barbarians. And if you were a non-Greek-speaking person, that meant you were a barbarian. Um, Aristotle says that there were certain um, non-Greek uh, uh, people-speaking people, um, some of the, the more remote barbarian tribes, he likened them to beasts, to, to animals. Uh, the, the Greek mystery religions, uh, kind of like uh, what we just said about the temple for the Jewish people. They excluded um, a, a lot of the, uh, the barbarians. Plato says uh, 
that the barbarians were the enemies of the Greeks by nature, like it was created into them, born into them. So there was this deep-rooted uh, division among them all. And, you know, I found myself kind of feeling repulsed by all that, uh, about such division and, and such animosity. But then I thought about us, certainly our world today. But like, even being honest uh, about my life as a United Methodist. You know, uh, United Methodists, uh, we're a divided church, and I think that our labels roll a little bit too easily off our tongue. I mean, how quickly we talk about the right and the left, how we talk about, you know, the traditional and the progressive, the conservative and, and, and the liberal. We talk about uh, mainline uh, and, and conservative or evangelical. We, we talk about inclusive or, or exclusive. We're labelers. And we're divided, and, it, and it's broken. Paul writes about Jesus, and this is the hope we have. In verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one, and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. It's pretty powerful stuff. And it almost seems impossible. Taking down the fence won't in itself bring peace. And we know that. What brings true and lasting peace is this business of dealing with the hostilities that live behind the fence, or maybe even that live in that guy running on the other side of the fence. Karen Choykin said, to remove these dividing, these dividing walls was no small feat. Indeed, the cost was the blood of Christ. To make these hostile groups one is nothing short of miraculous. In my devotional time the other day, um, Desert Father John Cashin was quoted, and, and I thought it was uh, appropriate. He says, is it, it is a bigger miracle to remove a passion from your own body than it is to remove an evil spirit from another's body. It is a bigger miracle to be patient and refrain from anger than it is to control the demons which fly through the air. I like what Edwin Searcy says. He says that Paul's contention is that the church is this holy experiment in reconciliation. The story of the, the prodigal father, or the loving father, who has the two prodigal sons, we're familiar with that story. This love of the father standing right between the one who is far off but also the one who was near. The, the hope in Paul's letter is that, that Jesus is our peace. It is the love of Jesus that, that stands in that gap and that draws us closer. You know, it is when we share a common love for Jesus, like really 
share that love for Jesus, that's when we're able to share a common love for each other, regardless of what fence we build or hide behind. Some time ago, um, I re-listened to a sermon that my granddaddy preached. It was on the cassette tape. And granddaddy tells this story um, about a, a little boy who lived in the slums, uh, really poor. Um, some would describe him as a little urchin of a boy, just always on the streets. Uh, he, he happened upon this mangy little dog, and they took up with each other, you know, for the day, and they were playing in the alleyway, uh, this dirty little boy and this mangy little dog. Well, this little dog followed him home, and home was, wasn't much more than uh, just a rundown shack. Little boy's sister's sitting on the porch and saw him coming with this, with this little nasty dog, and she's like, don't bring that thing in the house. The mom was back in the kitchen, and she heard the commotion on the porch, and she came out to see what was going on, and she said, don't bring that dog in here. The father was out in, in the backyard, and he kind of heard uh, the commotion going on, and he was like, you can't bring that dog in here. And by this time, the dog had, had come up onto the porch. And so the father just kind of puts his foot on the, uh, on the little puppy and just kicks and flips him way out into the yard. And of course, this dog just goes yelping with tail between his legs, and the little boy, horrified, just chases after this dog. He gets a string and ties the string around the dog's neck, and um, ties it up in the backyard and then he found some old pieces of lumber and uh, put together this um, this little house for the dog. At dinner, at the dinner table every night he would he would sneak uh, scraps of food and he didn't have a whole lot to eat to begin with and he'd fill his pockets with food uh, and he'd go out and, and feed his little dog. Well the little boy gets sick, really bad sick, and he dies. And after the family comes home from the funeral, the sister gets the little dog and puts him in a, in a, in a tub and just washes him. The dog was filthy, washes him clean. The mother says, I want to put a beautiful ribbon around this dog's neck. Uh, the father says, I want to build him a house and builds him a fine looking dog house for this, for this little dog. My granddaddy in his sermon, he asked the question, he's like, so, so what was the difference? Why all of a sudden this change from uh, contempt and keeping the dog out of the house and kicking it across the yard to uh, washing it and loving it and building it a home? He says the difference is somebody that they loved loved the little dog. Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, it's the love of Christ that urges us on and I would add to that, it's the love of Christ that takes down the fence, that brings us together. It's the peace of Christ, and it's my prayer for us. Amen.